and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 134. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me, as usual, during the week is Eno Saris. Good afternoon, Eno. Hey, hey, hey. And also joining us is Fat Albert. Welcome to the studio, Fat <laughs> Albert. I don't think it's something you guys might not know, but Fat Albert is a ridiculously good fantasy baseball player. Um, and we sell his t-shirts online. Don't look for them. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, some really interesting stuff we're going to spot in as usual, some, some requested items, and I'm excited to get to a couple of them, but we're going to start with some newsy items, uh, beginning with something that some of us, particularly me, I, I'll say that I've been waiting around for a little bit on this, but, uh, the, the Mariners optioned Erasmo Ramirez, uh, back to the Meyer leagues and, now they say Taiwan Walker is in the discussion to be recalled next week. It's kind of been one of these things we've been waiting for. He seems to be well past the shoulder impingement that he was dealing with. Uh, we know that he is a highly skilled pitcher with the strikeouts, occasional occasional command problems, but there's a lot of talent here. Uh, I, I think it's, to me, it's 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 this kid's time. I don't want to say he's overdue because I don't necessarily think that. He might have been slightly rushed last year, but, I mean, we're talking slightly, the actual meaning of slightly, not like uh, – uh, some some over dramatized version of it, but uh, I, I'm kind of excited. I mean, this guy should be owned in mixed leagues everywhere. But what say you, Eno, as far as uh, cautions, carefuls, et cetera, et cetera? I've got a couple shares of him, even in redrafts. Um, usually, uh, tend towards him a little bit more in those like keep keeper situation um, deals because. Um, you know, there's the injury piece with him. He he uh, he he. You know, he had the shoulder thing, and he doesn't hasn't hasn't had like great <clears throat> command or or um, uh, and mechanics sort of have gone in and out in, in the past. So I'm a little bit worried about long term health, but that isn't something to worry about. You know, at the beginning, and it's nice to see him come up and get whiffs right off the bat. Um, the curveball is nice. The velocity is nice. Um, and I think the change can be good enough. Um, so I think he's, uh, I think he's going to be doing well. And, you know, it's nice to see that his, his walk rate was back down again this year, uh, in triple a. So maybe he figured something out there. It is a little bit weird that he's, uh, he's kind of like changed his, his curve grip a little bit and, and he's played with it and it's been a knuckle curve at times and it's been a spike curve at other times. And, um, so I don't know why such a great pitch that's working for him so well needs to be uh, screwed so much. But um, it's also kind of weird. Erasmo Ramirez is just one of these guys. I, I, I did want to say something about him because he showed up in my in my um, query when I looked at multiple uh, pitches that were above average in, in whiffs and grounders. And um, the thing that that's amazing about Erasmo Ramirez is that his curve Changeup and slider are all uh, significantly above average in terms of whiffs. None of them are really good at getting grounders, and all of them have given up tons of homers. So um, I think it's got to be some sort of command or confidence issue. And but you know, you, if you look at a guy like that, that, there's some things he's doing right, and he's not someone to give up on completely. And um, you know, he his way to the NL or something. Um, you know, maybe he gets traded along with Franklin for something or something like that. Any case, you know, I store away Rasmo Ramirez's name as much as I think Taiwan Walker is a much more exciting and, and fun thing to think about right now. Yeah, I think that's interesting on Ramirez. He's kind of a guy I was interested in a couple of years ago. I've been a little worried, perhaps, in the past that the fastball is a little straight. I haven't really looked to say since. Uh, but he's a guy I think that uh, because he's had plus pitches is somebody to watch. Uh, what, what I was interested to ask you, kind of uh, related to the pitch-type peripherals, is just do you have a way to, to split those up and, and check out guys who 
tend to induce uh, what you know what find a find a solid benchmark for whatever infield fly balls are, and uh, just in, maybe in general even fly balls for certain uh, types of fly balls or anything like that. But I, I'd be interested to see that because it's I know for instance Johnny Cueto seems to be kind of a, a specialist that, at that at this point. Uh, just it's it's a um, I mean, it's a clear way to get outs as well. There certain, seem to be certain pitchers that achieve that better than others. You know, so I, you know, with the with pitch types, I, I hesitate to, to to split them up too much because you know you're already taking all their pitches and then splitting them up into four, five, six bins for like the pitch types. And if I then uh, split those bins into ground balls and fly balls, and, and you know, I mean, I do talk about ground ball rates, but if I'm taking the fly ball rates and then splitting that into fly balls and infield fly balls. Um, I might get into some trouble. It is something interesting to think about, though, because I think the research has shown in general that that infield fly ball rate is stickier than people thought it was. It is a skill. Uh, people didn't think it was a skill for a while, but um, we've been able to show that there is a bit of skill there on both the hitting and the pitching side. So, um, I, you know, there is some skill there. Kane is good at it. I think Cueto is good at it. And I think from sort of anecdotally and from talking to pitchers and, you know, Joey Votto said this actually in in my first interview with him. He said there's a spot sort of on the inside, high and inside, high and tight, that leads to infield flies, and he's trying never to pitch at it. And he said, yeah, Matt Cain is pretty good at hitting that spot. So, um, you know, so I guess basically what I'd say is high fastballs, uh, you know, can lead to, they can lead to fly balls, but they can also, if, if placed correctly, can lead to infield fly balls. Um, and that's a roundabout way of getting to the point um, about Erasmo Ramirez, which is, you know, he does throw high fastballs. They aren't great high fastballs. And the question just is, does he have the precise command to, to put that in a spot? And, you know, it doesn't look like it this year. But if you look at, you know, his history, he's had a lot of years where he, you know, didn't even walk two per nine. Um, so if he, can, if he can find the command again, it almost doesn't matter that his fastball is down to 91 from the sort of 92, 93 that he was at before. Um, if, you know, if he can perfectly command it, then, uh, then I think that, but, you know, once you get down to 91 miles an hour, you're walking a final line and, uh, and people can get around even at that, at that certain spot uh, quicker. Um, so I think that uh, there, there's something to his lost velocity that he might not get back. But if you look at Dylan G., there's a guy who throws 90 or so and uh, has managed to make it work, but he's also in the National League. That's why I brought up the fact that maybe maybe Erasmo will be relevant in the National League again someday. Yeah, and you, well, you, and you, you, and you pointed out, too, that uh, Ramirez's changeup is quite good um, and that, I, I mean, I think it's there's a considerable difference between it and the fastball. And uh, I mean, you also touched on the fact that it's just it's for some of these guys, it's a matter of confidence and how that translates or it can be a matter of confidence, how it translates. And it could be just a case where he's not, he's not quite willing to pitch inside the way he needs to. As you said, if he th- he's pit, he, you know, he'll throw a high fastball, but he doesn't necessarily throw it where he needs to get it. And maybe that has something to do with it. The Cardinals have made a change. Uh, not sure how permanent this is. Oh, well, it, it's certainly, Far from permanent. This is not a sticky thing. But uh, Marco Gonzalez, they promoted. Uh, he was pitching a, a double A, and uh, he made a start for the Cardinals on Wednesday. Uh, as you've heard on the show before, they are dealing with a, a multitude of injuries in the rotation. Uh, and this was Gonzalez's debut. He was a draft, a high draft pick last season. Uh, not, not a very good debut. Gave up, I believe, five runs in five innings. Uh, just in general, was kind of battered, battered around. Uh, but it ended up escaping with a no decision. Uh, this is a pitcher we kind of see. I mean, he's he's a left-hander. But, uh, probably is going to depend on command and control quite a bit to have success. Uh, Eno is not real thrilled with his his prospects. I can't say I, I'm kind of I'm in the at least in the short term. I'm and I'm in I'm I'm in the dark on him or I'm 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 on the fence. I'm not real sure how I feel about it. I think there's something there that might there might offer a little bit of deception, but. There's certainly this is far from finished product, even though he's supposed to have polishes. Polish is supposed to be, I think, a big part of uh, the prospect status. I, I have to admit, I think there was another Marco Gonzalez that I was looking at because uh, I, I looked at this Marco Gonzalez and was like, okay, well, it's, at least his walk and strikeout rates in the minors weren't bad. They were pretty good. Um, and I read up, Mark Hulett, uh says that he's got um, 
a good, really good changeup, but he, he only goes around 90, uh, throws it around 90. The, the pitch FX data is not, it's not a lot of it, but uh, they agree. He throws 90, has an 80 mile an hour change, got a lot of whiffs with the change, um, didn't get any whiffs with the curveball, didn't get many whiffs with the four seam. So, you know, if the curve isn't really quite there and he's a fastball change guy with a 90 mile an hour fastball, he's, yeah, that's why people were talking Michael Walker, but Michael Walker was 95. So, um, I'm a little bit, yeah, even though I had the wrong Gonzalez, uh, this time I'm still not that bullish on him. And I, and I also wanted to throw in the idea of innings limit uh, just for people that care. Uh, so I, I need to add up. Uh, he had 106 innings at Gonzaga last year. And uh, you add that to another 22. So he had 130 innings last year. So he could pitch... Um, I think as much as 160 innings this year, and uh, so far he's thrown about, 80. about 75, 80. So I mean, yeah, I guess he could have another 80 innings in him. Um, I have a feeling that when Joe Kelly gets healthy, uh, Joe Kelly's back in the rotation. Yes. Uh, and uh, I mean, between Kelly uh, and and Waka, you know, you know, coming back at some point. Um, I think they probably will find a way to, to put him back down in the minors and have him work on the curve. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the way it smells to me. I don't think that this is somebody they want to expose for any length of time if they can avoid it this season. Uh, I, I think it's interesting as far as the Mets are concerned. Um, they seem to be a little concerned about uh, how much they're going to expose Zach Wheeler for the rest of the season. At the very least, Terry Collins said that uh, they want to be a little more cautious with his workload moving forward. What's your take on that? How do you read into that? You hear that, I mean, Wheeler obviously was blown up in his last start, six runs allowed in two innings against, of course, it was the Oakland A's. You know, there's a there's sort of like a rally cry for 2015, and, you know, they, I'm sure that they just don't want him to blow out his arm at the end of the season like Harvey did. That would be so stupid. Um, you know, in general, I'm a little bit down on Wheeler just because the command has been about as bad as advertised and the stuff hasn't quite, um, you know, matched up with someone where you could be like, Oh, you know, well, he walks this many, but you know, he strikes out so many, like maybe an early U Darvish or whatever. Um, you know, yes, he's striking out a guy per inning, but his swing strike rate is just a tick above average. So I'm a little bit worried that he's overperforming a little bit when it comes to strikeouts. Um, and uh, in terms of innings, I'm a little surprised that is what they're talking about because, you know, last year he got 170 innings. I mean, you know, by most, you know, most people sort of go by the 120% rule, which is, you know, that he could go up to 190, 200 innings without a problem. So um, I'm going to check his velocity real quick, see if, uh, see if that fell down. But I, I just, uh, I, unless they're seeing something particular about how he's performing, uh, I doubt that, you know, just sort of regular thumb say that he should have an innings limit this year. And uh, his velocity is still above 95 uh, and trending up a little bit in the last couple of days. So I don't know what to say. Yeah, he's a confusing pitcher. I mean, I'm uh, he's he's a little, he's just a confusing case to me. I, I like I like what I have is, is some sort of uh, there's there's some talent there that I'm not able to pinpoint or, uh, or at least there's, there's something about him besides the talent. I mean, I really like the talent and I think that there's just something I can't pinpoint I like about him, but it's and it's kind of frustrating, but I, like you said, I mean, uh, it's it seems to be clear that uh, there's a good there's a there's a pretty good chance. He throws 95. I mean, yeah. <laughs> a lot of history there. I mean, it, you know, great place to start, and you know, you know, beyond that, you know, I think uh, the slider isn't quite there yet, but I think the slider can be a plus pitch. And uh, let me let me look at just this year because last last year bad. Uh, this year, yeah, it's really funny. His fastballs are his best pitches. His uh, his slider and change don't actually get above average whiff rates, and I think that's got to be a command issue because when I watch him. They look like good pitches, but the changeup is a ball more than half of the time, um, and I think that maybe just people on just they're just like I'm not going to swing at that changeup. Um, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in it. He's not he's throwing it the least of all his pitches, 
And um, otherwise, then he might be like a breaker guy where he throws slider, curve, four-seam sinker. It's probably enough to get it done, but uh, neither the slider or the curve right now is, is above average. Uh, and then the curve is. The curve is above average. But, you know, that's that's kind of iffy. Like a, even a great, a great fastball and a curve, you know, in bad command. If he had good command, that'd be a good, that'd be good enough. That's what Shelby Miller was doing, but he has bad command. So, um, I, I, you know, I like him good enough. I, I like him a little bit more in real life, where it's like, okay, he can be part of the uh, good Mets team. He can be the three, four, five guy. He can be the kind of wild uh, guy who every once in a while throws you a no hitter. You know what I mean? He can be, he can be that kind of that, that kind of pitcher, but. Um, I don't think that he's necessarily uh, number one, number two guy that you're going to bang. Yeah, uh, now I don't like Zach Wheeler so much, and kind of sucks. Oh, I, but I'm, I, you know, I, I'm looking at the comments now. 111 pitches. You know, I think maybe they're just going to say, we're, we're, you know, maybe it's a little bit less about innings and a little bit more about not letting him throw 11 pitches again. Yeah, yeah, that could be. That that makes a lot of sense uh, because folks are certainly some organizations are uh, quite a few organizations are pretty concerned about that uh, that magic one hundred number, especially for their younger guys, and especially yeah. after this franchise uh, dealt with the loss of Matt Harvey, and they clearly don't want to put themselves, like you said, in that kind of situation again. Uh, so let's yeah. talk about some older pitchers uh, and. We'll get to this. Is a request I wanted to talk. A fellow wanted to hear about James Shields, James Shields' struggles, and uh, particular. I mean, overall, he's got an ERA that's just now really approaching four. Uh, but uh, and the you know kind of a lot of the peripheral numbers didn't suggest that this is where he was going to end up. But uh, has really kind of struggled lately. Uh, do you see anything? I mean, I haven't I haven't noticed anything that has really bothered me, but. Um, you had mentioned, and I believe in the last one that uh, in the last cast that you were a little concerned about something about Shields. He's sort of a, a perennial. Well, I mean, first of all, his changeup is his best—not uh, his best, but uh, his best pitch. I mean, his changeup, James Shields' changeup. You know, that's kind of what you think of. And uh, he's he's down to, from what I can see, about a career low in in usage on the pitch. I don't know what that means, um, and the reason I bring it up, and he's he's had a, a volatile mix. He changes his mix from year to year, and I, he's probably you know pitchers have to do that to to keep people on their on their feet, uh, to keep people wondering what they're going to throw, um, and uh, you know that's not necessarily what I'm as worried about. But you know, one thing about Shields is he often shows up in. Um, this thing. So Jeff Zimmerman uh, picked up the work done by Josh Kalk, um called uh, the uh, the injury zone, and uh, Josh Kalk uh, now works for the the Rays. Um, and and what the injury zone is is ba- um, is basically uh, you, you you look at uh, release points, velocity, and um, and uh, uh, command uh, a command factor so uh, what, what you're actually looking at is release points uh, zone percentage and uh, velocity and shields has showed up in this a lot over the last two years and you know I'm you know I'm looking at this for uh, the last we're just gonna look at it for the last two years and uh, and see how how he's doing um, on this because uh, he just keeps showing up as being a guy to worry about uh, when it comes to this injury zone, this pitch effects injury zone predictor. That's interesting because, um, I mean, the last few years, his velocity is kind of steadily, as far as average fastball velocity, it's kind of steadily increased. At least uh, for it his is up. That's one thing that doesn't, doesn't match up. But, you know, uh, every once in a while, this March, uh, last March, um, and late last year and late the year before, his uh, his release points have, have become inconsistent um, late in the game, and um, his zone percentage right now is um, also down uh, pretty considerably over the last month and a half. Um, so 
I just feel like, you know, he's thrown a lot of innings. Uh, he, he, every once in a while, his mechanics get out of whack and his, uh, you know, his late game sort of uh, consistent release point gets out of whack. Uh, he's 32. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't understand why he's up. Um, and the, the sweat is going. So I just think that uh, he's... He is who he is at this point. All the projections sort of agree with me, and uh, that there's not necessarily he's not necessarily going to return to those ace-like days. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think I think it's justifiable. Consider, I mean, to be worried about the ace-like days being distant memory, kind of. Well, maybe not distant memory, but I mean, I'm I'm not optimistic. I guess that he's ever going to get really back to that status. I think it's. I mean, according to the pitch effects data uh, itself, it seems like he's he's added a cut fastball um, in, in kind of the last couple of years and he's throwing it almost a third of the time this year. See, this is just my impression. If you've noticed anything, please let me know. I think it seems like some guys, some guys add a cut fastball and it doesn't seem to take them long to work it into their repertoire. They seem to get it down, but it seems like a lot of other pitchers have had some trouble instituting it. Uh, John Lester, I know had some real issues. I want to say Cole Hamels threw it. Um, tried it out uh, occasionally, and there's probably a series of guys. I think a couple of guys on the Red Sox actually uh, that it was a pitcher that, and just in general, it's not necessarily a a, a pitch that's really easy to master. Is my impression. And um, well, what's well, I think what's hard about it is is that it's basically a slider grip, but you're throwing it like a fastball. And um, you know, a lot of these guys that you've mentioned were changeup guys first. Okay. Actually, Shields has been throwing a cutter, I think, for most of his career. I don't think it's. I think that's a pitch effects thing. Um, if you look at his BIS pitch types, he's been throwing it uh, most of his career. But that doesn't mean it can't go in and out. Uh, it's definitely a pitch that I've uh, I've talked to people saying it goes in and out, and they couldn't figure out why. And I think the cutter is also sort of a way to get a breaking ball uh, for changeup guys because changeup guys sometimes have a real hard time. Um, Throwing their throwing a cutter, uh, throwing a breaking pitch, throwing a slider or a curve. Yeah. So um, what they've done instead is uh, uh, is trying to throw a fastball in a way that makes it break and makes it break like a cut, like a breaker. So um, you know, and usually it's a pitch that's thrown by uh, people you know nearing the end of their career or or, or that need a sort of resurrection. It's called a resurrection pitch. Okay. And um, you know, Shields is one of those rare guys who's been throwing it his whole career. It's hard to point to that now, but, um, you know. Yeah, maybe a case of, like you said, I mean, it's got a, I've, I've certainly seen on occasions uh, when there's been confusion between the two types of data uh, as far as which pitch, as far as identification. And then, so maybe it's a case of uh, because the, uh, the breaks can be somewhat similar and depends on whether a guy's actually committing to pitch properly, that it maybe it's a case of misidentification or something like that between the two. Yeah. If you look at it, even at the pitch effects, if you look at the slider and the cutter, so they're about, they're about, if you add the slider to the cutter, he's been throwing it about 10% his whole career. Yeah. You know, you could point to the home runs and say, you know, pitching in Kauffman stadium, which should be just as homer suppressing, if not more than, than the trop. And uh, he's got one of the worst home run rates of his career, but not necessarily worse, not much worse than usual because he used to give up a lot of home runs. I just see a bell curve here pretty, pretty easily. And you look at those best three years that he had with Tampa, those peak years, his home run rate was down below one per nine and um, everything was cooking with gas. And then now he looks a little bit more like he did earlier in his career when he had high threes, low fours, ERAs and gave up more than a, a homer per nine. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, yeah, the the home run rate is up, and also, I mean, the strikeout rate is back down to around a little under twenty percent, and the walk rate is, but is, and the walk rate is down also, kind of around those same rates. So it's kind of like where he was, um, you know, when he broke in. So James Shields has peaked, and you missed your chance, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I thirty five this week, so I, I I peaked, and you missed your chance. We will never get married. <laughs> and, I, and I won't get drafted in the NBA draft tonight. That's that's certainly true. I just I haven't seen your name 
come up in any of the uh, NBA mocks I've seen, which is only on the bottom line. And uh, you know, I rocked Pickup <laughs> this week. That was amazing. <laughs> I believe I was it. Like, would show up. <laughs> I totally believe it. I, I think, uh, and by the way, I turned 36 in like a month and a half. So, um, uh, I don't really know where prime. I'm going with that. Yeah, I, I, I am way, I, I'm way past my prime. <laughs> uh, another request we have is Ian Kennedy. Uh, basically, wants to know. I mean, there's there are a lot of his his per, uh, his kind of his uh, peripheral and uh, peripheral marks, such as the, the X, FIP, the FIP, and numbers of those assortment who give him an ERA around the low threes. And uh, of course, I mean he's. He has not put up that kind of ERA. It's a more so around four, and this is a, a pitcher that a lot of folks hope that he would kind of be a, be a buy low season for him. Uh, and he's had some problems with the home run in his career, and has not really had those in terms of volume this season. Uh, and you would expect that since he has moved to Peco Park, but the ERA is still up there. Uh, it's disappointing. I mean, it just the hit rate is up. Is there anything to be worried about here? Wants to know this guy. Uh, we he was rated as. Uh, 31st um, in the consensus rankings coming into the season. Do we see him better be or, uh, or consensus 31st in the latest ones? Now I forget which one he was referring to, but uh, do we see him being better than 31st going forward? Are we looking at some kind of potential correction? I, I was optimistic in those rankings, but I'm, I'm a little bit less optimistic now. You know, the, the, the batting it's sort of weird normally he has a low batting average on balls in play because he's a he's a big fly ball guy and um and you know and a high home run rate and that's that's how he's gotten his four ERAs in the past this year he's got the lower home run rate and the high babbit so it's a it's kind of a different it's kind of a different situation i don't know how much of it is influenced by infield defense but i do know that Everth Cabrera is having a hard time at the plate and in the field this year, or Everth, or however you say his name. Um, and uh, Alexi Amarista uh, is not a great defender at any position, any of the five that he plays. So, you know, maybe with Jericho out, he's, he's, he's suffered a little bit uh, behind him. Maybe that can, that can uh, correct. But I would caution to put too much correction in that Babbitt, because 324 is not something you would you couldn't not see at the end of the year. You know what I mean? It's not like a huge outlier. It's that would just be like, oh yeah, not a great Babbitt, but not like a 380 where you're like, okay, well that's gonna change. So uh I think, you know, we've looked at almost a thousand innings and he's a he has a four point oh oh ERA for his career. And there is a moment where the ERA estimators do less good than ERA itself, and it's around a thousand innings. So at this point, you might as well look at his career uh, ERA, and then look at what he's doing right now, and say, "This is Ian Kennedy." This is Ian Kennedy. <laughs> For better or worse. Kind of like CNN, without all the Justin Bieber news. The graphic. <laughs> And another concern, well, first of all, a fellow wanted to hear uh, some more about Matt Shoemaker. And I'm interested to hear this as well because we talked about him a little bit before. And uh, I think that, I mean, I think it's worth talking about him in the sense that uh, I was a little surprised to hear that this is somebody I should be looking at in mixed leagues. We're not set, we kind of came to the consensus, not saying that this is definitely someone you want, but uh, if you have, have room to put this guy on your bench or something like that, or. Uh, I mean, there, there's something here that's a little intriguing, whether it's that he has uh, improved his pitch mix or has really mastered a certain pitch, uh, but uh, he came up in Eno's uh, pitch type uh, masterification list or whatever it was called, and uh, he's he has, he, has, he has a multitude of plus pitches at this point based on the results against him. Sample size is small on them, but uh, something here really to be intrigued about. And uh, we could say. Well, I'm glad, glad you put that little caveat in there. You said plus pitches based on the results, which is uh, an important caveat. I got yelled at for for calling uh, these guys plus pitches. They're above average, but actually, in, in Shoemaker's case, it's it's almost plus in terms of results. His slider gets 23% whiffs, and his split gets 24% whiffs. Uh, you know, the averages for those are about 15 and 17. So that's 
that's a good uh, standard deviation plus uh, above the of the of the mean. So he has a good slider. He has a good splitter. Splitters in general, I love them. And actually, looking at this right now, I see a guy that basically looks a lot like Odorizzi. Um, not the greatest fastball. Throws at 91.7, 92. Odorizzi's a little bit lower with the fastball. Um, he has a better slider than Odorizzi, and then he has a splitter like Odorizzi. And he has a nice home park like Odorizzi. So if, you like, if you're in a league where you like Odorizzi, then you're in a league where you should also be looking at Matthew Maker is how I want to. <laughs> it makes it, I mean, if you're talking about a guy who doesn't have a great fastball, but he has these other pitches, I mean, it's just, I mean, that might be why you see stretches of where he's been hit harder is that if he's not commanding those pitches quite as well, then he's, he's uh, or, and or locating them, then he's got to come back with a fastball that's not quite as good. Just to try to just stay in the hunt, in the count, et cetera. So yeah, and I noticed this with Whitley a little bit. Um, I wonder the short sample. When looking at the short sample fastball results, I wonder if if you have a great slider and split like like Shoemaker does, or a, or at least a good one. I mean, I think even early on we can say it's at least a good one. Um, that uh, that makes your fastball play up, and then at some point the book gets out on you, and people are like, well, you know, try to find a way to to swing at the fastball, maybe swing earlier in the count. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and be more aggressive and get those fastballs before he gets ahead of you and starts using the slider and split. I think that might be what's going on a little bit with Chase Whitley because when I looked at first at Chase Whitley's four-seamer, it was around uh, 7% widths and looked like an average four-seamer. Now uh, it's down to 5%, and Chase Whitley's been rocked a little bit. I bet you people are being aggressive on the fastball. You know, there's another way that a pitcher can counter that. He can start throwing... Uh, his his off speed, his breaking stuff in fastball counts early. You know, throw them in all one and, and and throw them to get ahead if he can command them. The nice thing about Shoemaker is it looks like he can command his slider. Um, you know, enough right to now. do right. something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, that's kind of the so called working backward. I think in the old school vernacular. And I I do want to bring that. I think it's very important because. I want to bring that up with respect to Jake Arrieta and then also Tim Lincecum's no-hitter because Tim Lincecum in his no-hitter threw, threw 33% fastballs. And that's uh, that would be down from his fastball usage this year, which is around 45%, and down from his sort of peak career stuff when he was around 60%. So, um, and the league average around 60%. I think it, I'm sort of split on this. I think and, and Arietta's doing the same thing where his fastball usage is down and slider's usage is way up. And some people can really command their slider. Some of you, like Lincecum, can even command their slider better than their fastball. And it's, I, in some ways, I'm like, sure, do it. If your fastball is no good and people are launching out of the park and you can't command it, then, then, then throw it less. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer. The only part is that uh, people are, sh- are, and my research has shown with, with Zimmerman and stuff, is that the, the breakers are, are more stress on your arm. Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of comes to that. It's like that resurrection pitch. The cutter is a resurrection pitch. There, there comes a point in a time in your career as a pitcher where you have to throw for a future injury out the window because you're not making it. You know, you're not making it as a pitcher, and you need to make it. So, you know, maybe you do go down to 30, 35 percent fastball usage or 40 percent fastball usage. Maybe you do start throwing the cutter. Maybe you start throwing the slider a lot more. Um, these are the kind of things that you see a guy like Jake Arrieta who had been pitching for four or five years and hadn't made it. Uh, then you see him start, uh, you know what, I'm going to start throwing the slider more. Maybe a guy like Tim Lincecum, you know, getting the fastball, getting beat out of the park, and he can't command it. Maybe he says, all right, you know what, slider slider in the OO count, slider in the in the 1-1 count. Here we go. Uh, it's interesting you brought up, the. I mean, with the Lincecum no-hitter, I mean, I, I remember reading a, a feature piece on him. I can't remember if it was the Chronicle or just Fox Sports, but uh, and it was – Basically, it was just a nice long feature on kind of uh, he his arrival at really a Zen period where he just you know it was his understanding that uh, he could no longer rely on uh, his pure stuff anymore and that he had to start learning to become a pitcher, et cetera, et cetera. And all pitchers go through this kind of phase, but they don't all they don't all adapt the same way, obviously. And it may be you know, he may be reaching that point uh, where, like you said, uh, that he's. You know, damn the injury and things like that, um, or as far as, I mean, relying on the breaking stuff more. And I think he's, I mean, he's interesting because this is a pitcher who, I mean, he has such an unusual set of mechanics and, 
they worked for him. And I don't think that they, uh, you know, some folks believe that they might lead to injury, lead to injury. And some didn't because it was, you know, despite the fact that it kind of looked funky, it still seemed to be really fluid. I think it's kind of the way to sum it up, but, right. but, um, it doesn't mean that it may necessarily work that I mean, it's, I think it'd be interesting to say, like, uh, you're talking about a totally different, uh, um, arm angles, uh, and things like that, release points, stuff like that in a sense, in essence, in a way, uh, with the, if he's going to be throwing the, uh, these huge, uh, rate of, of breakers specifically sliders, and it's going to change the stress quite a bit. It may be interesting to see if that changes the stress on his arm at all. And maybe he becomes a lot more risk it for injury. Maybe not, maybe but I think yeah, I think the I mean, way his, his his because his mechanics are so funky, I'd be interested interested to see how this affects his health. Right, and he's and really, it's a divining rod type thing where you know, increased use of breakers increases your chance of the DL of going on the DL, but increases it from like forty one, forty two percent to maybe forty five percent, forty six percent, fifty percent. So it's not um, it's not a huge effect. Um, I'm not even sure how, 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 how well it would show up in correlations. And I know that um, Pizza Cutter on, on Baseball Prospectus did um, some stuff where he, um, he looked at it from a more sort of correlation or, uh, like regression standpoint and couldn't find any, any link between the different pitch types and, and injury. Uh, but he did find a link between injury and future injury. So... You know, in that case, you might be more worried about a guy like Arietta throwing curveballs. He's had some injury in his past versus a guy like Linskim who's been very healthy for a long time. True. Uh, so maybe it'll work better for him. In either case, I would I'd just put it this way in general. It's not – I don't think it's the type of, of actions that you want to see from your uh, – from an older pitcher. I don't think it's – it doesn't make me feel super confident. It makes me feel a little bit less confident about what they're doing. It's like, oh, I can see maybe why Arietta's doing a little bit better. This and, and that is nice to have a bit of a reason why, but it's not the best reason why. It's not like, <laughs> no, it's not like he developed a splitter that he's throwing ten percent and you know isn't you know isn't throwing a ton, but just gave him this extra wrinkle and, and makes makes everything look better. It's like, well, he fundamentally is changing and he's throwing the slider now over thirty percent of the time. And, you know, there is a bit of a link, in my mind at least, between the slider and injury. You know, in terms of long-term stuff, I'm a little bit more worried about Arietta and Linscombe than I am um, in terms of this year. But I, I wouldn't even buy Linscombe this year. So he, he no-hit the Padres. You know, the Padres have been no-hit twice. And I just wrote a grips piece about Tanner Roark. Roark uh, struck them out 11 against zero walks and three hits in eight innings. And that's Tanner Roark. So... I think a little bit of this part was just it was the Padres. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say until you ruined it that uh, I was I wanted to tell everyone uh, if they wanted to come out and see me at the ballpark, I was scheduled to throw a no hitter this Monday, uh, and I it's because I'm facing the Padres. So another listener, and uh, we appreciate this because this was something that really piqued my interest as well. Uh, in Trevor Rosenthal's last appearance, uh, he was at Colorado and uh, expended 41 pitches to register a save. It was over an inning and a third, uh, and uh, he ended up uh, without. He ended up walking two, striking out two. Did not give up a run. That's all well and good, but a 41 pitch appearance for a reliever. I'd be a little more concerned. I'll, I'll say I'd be a little more concerned if it was just one inning. Um, still in the grand scheme of things, the number of pitches he expended in that last inning, uh, regardless, is still quite a few, no matter who the pitcher is. Uh, I'm hoping that the Cardinals intend to give him a good day off, maybe two after that, uh, we, we would see. Uh, I, I would think, I, I'm sure one. But anyway, uh, you know, you see this, is, 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 is this kind of raise a red flag to you at all? Or is this just something you say, hey, I want to keep it, you know, just keep my eye out in case this kind of thing happens again. The good news is that when you when you go on his page, uh, it looks like he's unavailable after after throwing those forty one pitches. So I, I don't think that um, you know we have to worry about that one outing so much. I mean, it's good that he's unavailable. Colorado, it's very it's very hard to recover in Colorado at that altitude. It's one of the reasons why the Denver Nuggets have one of the best home field advantages in sports is because if you play the second night of a back to back in Denver. Um, you're just screwed when it comes to recovery. So I really hope that they do give him that day off. I'm going to assume that they will. 
Um, so that doesn't worry me so much. What worries me a little bit more is that it seems like the command issues that Rosenthal was dealing with early in the season have come back. Um, and, and I wonder if it's just because he doesn't really have naturally a great command. Um, you look in his minor league background, you see a little bit of uh, bad uh, walk rate there. And, and if you look at his major league um, performances, he does have great walk rates, but they're also associated with, with reach rates. So batters really have been reaching at his pitches and uh, turning a lot of ball into strikes. And they're doing that a lot less this year for whatever reason. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit like, you know, he doesn't have great command. He, he uh, isn't getting strike one at a league average rate. Uh, so he's not necessarily getting ahead in the, in, the, in the count. In general, I still think the stuff is wicked. Um, and I think he's uh, going to be good even with a bad walker. I mean, Carlos Marmol existed. And I don't think that Trevor Rosenthal is necessarily Carlos Marmol. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely an excellent point. Um, and uh, I, I, I mean, overall, it's a, it, I, I still, th- I, I, I still like to think that the Cardinals uh, intend to use. Well, they might still consider Rosenthal a starter in the long term. Um, uh, for uh, I, I, I think it becomes a question of whether he can, you know, we, whether he can make the transition. I guess after being in the bullpen for a couple of years, but I don't really see any reason to. But I think. Just because maybe this, just because maybe he's had the command issues, that might be kind of the the alarm that says, well, maybe he will have some difficulty making that transition period anyway. Um, or maybe it's just because maybe he just has that issue primarily because he just throws really hard all the time, and it's more max it's more max effort than it is location. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, so, so I guess he needs to rely on on the batters to kind of, you know, to 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 reach a little bit. So I, I don't know why they stopped reaching, but you know, if I was in the if I was in there against him, I would probably just wait out three times and go take a seat. <laughs> that sounds like a good way to win. Uh, before and before we close it out, we did have a couple of hitters we want to talk about. And we'll, uh, primarily, we get to uh, request for, and this is something we were really interested to talk about anyway. But uh, JD Martinez has been hotter than Jesus, and again, there be there are not too many leagues I would have dropped Jesus in, but I might drop Jesus for JD Martinez the way he's sitting. Uh, and you know, this is well, hey, this Guzman, you can definitely drop him for JD. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> uh, but Martinez has been, I mean, he's been on fire. I mean, we're, we're talking two weeks plus now at this point. And, uh, I mean, doesn't necessarily, this, this type of hot tour, well, he's, and he's been getting the playing time for much longer than that. Uh, but uh, big news has come out that uh, this is, and this is, I mean, this is something I read about six, eight months ago, that this was his primary goal coming into the season. This is not really new news, but now that he is hitting hotter than Jesus, um, people care and so it's uh, basically that he has overhauled his swing a lot of things changed about it uh, and so you have to think some things about the swing plane uh, before he was always a guy who struck out quite a bit uh, and uh, just in general it seems to be uh, obviously it's it's working uh, you know for instance i'm curious to see how you find <laughs> besides um, a 400 batting average and 10 home runs in the last week what is the evidence, uh, or is there any specific evidence you've ever noticed when um, a hitter says, "Oh yeah, I've I've changed this about my swing or that," and uh, and uh, is there anything that uh, that can really tell you about that? He's just as sort of aggressive as he's always been. He's striking out about as much as he always has, and he's not walking a lot. Um, the other one is swing plane in terms of um, kind of how upper you are and 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 how far you drop your hands before. Um, you, you kind of get into your swing. And uh, I think that helped Donaldson a lot. He told me that he, he worked on, hit, on, on, on smoothing out his swing plane, and that led to more ground balls and more power, uh, which I think you can see a little bit of that in J.D. Martinez's line. He's definitely um, uh, hitting more of an even ground ball to fly ball mix right now than he has in the past. Um, and uh, the other thing that you can say um, is uh, sort of about pull versus push and, and um, you know, how much of a pull hitter you are. And um, I would say that just looking at what Jamie Martinez is doing, he's, he's just being, uh, he's, he's going the other way a lot. Uh, I mean, as a right-hander, uh, he has two homers that he's pulled straight down the line. 
and then he has four homers uh, that he's hit um, the other way. Um, so I see a lot of deep fly balls and line drives and uh, and doubles out there in right field. So I think he's probably worked a little bit on going the other way, which is important for him particularly because the right-hander and um, what's the reason it's taken so long where he is is he's a right-hander. He's not very good defensively. And that has put him in the bin where the people have been like, uh-oh, I think he's a verse lefty to bench that right-handed guy. Um, so I think by going the other way, evening out a swing line, and not necessarily sustainable in terms of batting average, um, and the power is not necessarily sustainable at a 26% home run per fly ball rate after having sort of half that the rest of his career. But I think that, you know, his playing time might be sustainable. I mean, it might be... He might have gotten out to a good enough start that, you know, the fade doesn't look as bad. He hits enough homers every once in a while to, uh, to, to make it look good. And it keeps him in there against right-handers, um, which is that's, that's when you really have to get worried about Danny Martinez going forward is when you see him sitting against right-handers because uh, that's, that's, that's when he's the wrong side of the platoon. Uh, but I'm really, really happy to trade Alex Meyer for Danny Martinez um, with Ray Flowers in AL Labor. And, um, you know, I just have to, if I can figure out one more move like that, uh, I might actually compete for the top. Your old team, by the way, <laughs> uh, doing very well. Super. Still, huh? I knew, yeah. I knew that a co- I knew a month ago it was, uh, it was in the lead. Let me look at just the most updated. It's second right now. Uh, doing really well. And um, last year. Uh, I finished second also. You know, one thing I noticed in the past that you you were willing to pay for saves last year. And you didn't necessarily do that this year. Yeah, that was, I mean, primarily it was just uh, uh, for regarding all those guys. I mean, last year I bought Casey Jansen and he was my third closer. And I just thought he was extremely, I mean, I, I remember distinctly. I, I bought him for nine bucks uh, because I had him valued at around 16 or 17. And I was I was just surprised. I mean, I know that a lot of folks were excited about the return of Sergio Santos, but uh, you know, I have a really hard time valuing closers in those. Do you use past labor uh, drafts to help guide your your values, or no. how did you how did you get a closer to a fifteen dollar value? Uh, I just uh, everything in my calculator is it's purely based on relative results. I mean, all the statistics are relative by category and. Uh, Standard standard points gained kind of idea? No, no, it's totally um, the master's ball value, player valuation or statistic valuation method, um, where they um, <clears throat> basically it's a, it's a, it's everything is relative within a certain category, and uh, I had to I'd have to. Um, no, I I got it. You know, it's sort of standard deviations of the mean in a certain category. Uh, for. Uh, it could probably be done that way, <laughs> uh, to be honest. And I did really well, I want to say, in Stats 101 at the University of Delaware, I would like to say. But <laughs> it's been about 15 years since I've had that class. And so there's a good chance of that. But basically, it boils down to there's a lot of addition and subtraction of, uh, ba- uh, based on uh, whatever the X number of uh, X most – you know, whoever has, say, the fifteenth most saves or something like that in each, and it's 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 basically it's dictated by each category. And uh, they, uh, I kind of differ in philosophy as far as um, the Masters Ball method and a couple of others. But I mean, it's it's all basically the same thing. Uh, and that's something that's something I certainly would be interested in talking about some other time. Um, I've used standard points gained and um, uh, a couple of different other ones. One um, that that uh, sounds a little bit similar in terms of uh, you know valuing in category by category, uh, but um, I just have a real hard time. My my closers uh, uh, numbers never get close to the numbers in um, in the auction room. Interesting. And, Interesting. and uh, so I just end up buying, uh, just trying to get one of the cheaper ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think might uh, that might stick around. This year I got Friari and Qualls. I've got. 20 saves and they cost me uh, 20 bucks. Um, I mean, that's, that's about what I end up doing most years, but, um, and who knows if free area, actually that was on our list of things to talk about. We could talk about on the way out. 
uh, Frieri, uh, Joe Smith is in the role again. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you know, you know, just a couple of outings with some bad walks. He's got a couple different arm angles, which I think makes him scary for command, and and he lets a lot of balls in play. So I think. I think that's still up in the air. And the, I think it's really interesting. Someone asked me about Frieri at the FSTA. Um, you know, Frieri's whiff rate on his fastball is better than the whiff rate on his breakers. And it has been for most of his career. So it's kind of, he might as well just keep throwing the fastball. And I wonder if he couldn't just, you know, if he had better command, he could be a, a Mariano type where he just kept throwing that crazy fastball of his and nobody could hit it. But the problem is he doesn't have great command. Um, and then he also uses the uh, the bad slider every once in a while, and I think those those are the ones that turn into homers. Yeah, Ernesto yeah. Frieri just sucks. I, I'm tired of him, and I own him in Tal Wars. I, I picked up Joe Smith a couple of weeks ago for a buck because I was like, all right, this is this is clearly not going to be something he's going to fix consistently. I mean, it's not going to be something that I'll fix that lasts for a while. Um, because he would, I mean, he can go, he can go in more than a couple of appearances without uh, walking two or three guys and giving up a home run. And uh, usually they come at about the same time and then it's even really bad. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, I think that, uh, as you said, we, that's something we could head all to one. Uh, and uh, this has been episode number 134 of the sleeper and the bus. We thank everybody for bus. listening uh, being, being extremely patient with us throughout these last couple of weeks as we continue to work on ways to improve the pod and even just the production of it, things like that. Uh, we've had some great questions and some great comments uh, and a lot of great encouragement, and we appreciate that. And we hope you keep that coming. Yes, thanks for listening, for sure. Thank you again for joining us for The Sleeper and the Bust, and have a good night. Good night.